You cannot shame or bully yourself into wholeness. Shame simply drives maladaptive behaviors underground where they can thrive. So welcome to season one of the A Life in Progress Rebranding Middle-Age podcast. Our theme for season one is called the, is the Midlife Crossroad. I'm Krista, founder of alifeinprogress.ca and rebrandingmiddleage.com. I'm a writer, grief and trauma-informed mind-body coach, joyful living educator, mom of three, partner of 30 years, etc. My work is for freedom seekers, truth tellers, and stubborn questioners, highly sensitive souls, slow movers, and non-hustlers. The anxious, grieving, messy, and healing, reforming people pleasers, perfectionists, performers, and peacekeepers. Brave, weary, and curious humans ready to quiet the conditioning and noise to reclaim freedom, wholeness, and joy. Welcome. All of you is welcome here. My inner critic was vicious. It bullied me, held me back, pointed out all my flaws 24-7, told me I was never good enough. And no matter how hard I worked, how hard I tried to be good and kind and love people, no matter how much I burned the candle at both ends and read and tried to grow and become better, that's in quotes, better version of self, right? I shared last time that that's, I don't believe we have to become a better version of ourselves. We might need to heal and unpack and unravel conditioning to meet and befriend our true selves. But I could never keep up or measure up no matter what. I lived in constant fear about what bad next bad thing might lie around the bend and that held me back from joy or even happiness a lot of the time, because when you, it feels like if you allow joy into your life and another bad thing comes, you might crash. There's even further to fall. But one day, 18 years ago, when my third child was born, I held her little body in my arms. And all of a sudden, I just had this realization and I made a decision in that moment that for her sake and mine, I would no longer bully or berate my body or myself. So I want to talk about practicing self-compassion like your life depends upon it. And I believe it does. And if not your life life, as in staying alive, um, it can mean the difference between barely surviving and thriving. So I mentioned last episode that I'm testing out a format for the podcast. And so we're going to, I'm going to walk through self-awareness, self-compassion, imperfect action, the cycle and practice that I use in my work and my, my life. So first I want to talk about the self-awareness component of this. Compassion needs to be bi-directional. 
if you are a female in North America, but probably anywhere in the world, chances are you have been conditioned from the beginning of life to be a giver, a caretaker, a nurturer. You have learned how to take care of other people's needs. And that is a measure of self-worth often. Um, or if somebody is unhappy, we think somehow we've done something wrong. It's our responsibility. And what I have experienced and what I see in my work with midlife women, ranging, by the way, from, you know, so the, the outlier, there are some outliers, but for the most part, women in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and up to about, you know, early 70s. What I see is that we might think about compassion as in pouring out for others, but we're not very skilled at offering compassion to self. But if compassion is not bi-directional, not only does that tend to lead you know, to burnout and ill health, but it's often or generally rooted in fear, people-pleasing, performing, or perfectionism. It's rooted in somewhere besides mm, maybe just a simple desire for, you know, the well-being of, of everybody or a community. It comes from a place of we have to do this thing to prove, you know, to try to satisfy this voice inside of us. Um, voice or emptiness or pain or whatever. So compassion needs to be bi-directional. It doesn't mean that it's always equal, you know? So for instance, if you're in a marriage, sometimes one of you needs more support than the other you know sometimes one of us is low and the other person comes alongside and lifts them up and that can still be bi-directional but as long as it is reciprocal you know and it's not just we are pouring out and pouring out until there's nothing left um yeah so i invite you to Spend some time deepening your self-awareness and just paying attention to your current patterns and beliefs around this. So looking for clues um, about your level of self-compassion or um, you know, the, your level of friendship with yourself. Because if we are in a, an honoring and respectful relationship with ourselves, First of all, I believe that that really does give us way more to, we can make a bigger impact. Even if we're not spreading ourselves too thin, we're going to be able to show up in integrity and with more sustainability to do the work in the world that we want to do. Um, and so pay attention to your current patterns and beliefs. How, what is your self-talk like? Do you allow yourself rest? Um, what kind of stories come up for you around permission to rest? 
if there's a need in the community or your faith, you know, your faith community, your local community, your family, what's your inner dialogue like around that? Do you know how to say no? Do you have any boundaries in place? You have a lot of leaky boundaries. You may not even recognize this, but sometimes we can look for clues as to that indicate that we have a leaky boundary. So for myself, for instance, the number one clue is resentment. When resentment is present, I know where to look. I know that it always means that there's somewhere in my life there is either a boundary violation or a leaky boundary. It could mean a a non-existent boundary as well. Do you always put other people's needs first? Are you making space in your life just for the basic things that build a foundation of health for yourself? You know, sleep, for instance, hydration, pausing work to nourish your body, taking time just to be alone sometimes, or to do something pleasurable like lay on the couch and read fiction. So if you're interested in in getting, you know, in in deepening your roots of self-compassion or just beginning to to learn about self-compassion over the next one or two weeks, maybe just notice, notice and name and jot down where you feel that you are depleted, run dry, over-giving, over-promising, devaluing yourself, etc. Um, Notice also, if all or nothing thinking is at play in your life, as it is for many of us. So all or nothing thinking keeps us mired in perfectionism, or this belief that we need to be perfect. And anything less than that, or just being human, because by the way, you know, we're all simply practicing Um, anything less than that, we means that we experience lots of internal judgment or shaming. So what's your relationship to shame like? Is there a lot of um, self-judgment? Is your inner critic really loud? Or is somebody else constantly gaslighting or berating you and you and you don't know or you haven't had felt permission to say like, no more, stop, this is not allowed, you can't talk to me that way. As part of that questioning or examining around all or nothing thinking, notice what happens when you're trying to build a new habit, or you're safe trying to be kinder to yourself, or, you know, and that could be like, with your inner self-talk, but it could also be in going to bed on time or drinking enough water. Notice what happens if you feel like you fall down or you stumble. Do you stay down and shame yourself? Or do you just acknowledge, oh yeah, this is what happened. What could I do next time, you know, differently and get right back up? You know, something that I used, I used to witness it more when I um, centered my work around holistic nutrition and gut health and that type of thing, where people would jump on bandwagons. Um, It could be like a new fad, but it could also just be like, 
I'm so excited. I'm going to start this new habit and start, you know, taking better care of myself or whatever. And then, you know, three days in, two, two weeks in, whatever, you stumble. And then people stay down and they're like, okay, well, I'll start again next Monday, next month, next whatever. If you notice that type of pattern, that could be a really good starting place to begin practicing self-compassion by simply acknowledging like, oh, I, you know, acknowledging the truth of what is without the shame or judgment and just saying, okay, we're, we're, I'm just practicing. Let's, let's start again right now. We just have to start again right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for next hour. Like if you make a mistake or you do something or say something that's out of integrity, you can start again right now. You can own that thing, make repair if that is needed and just begin again right now. We don't need the shame or judgment and and messiness is not the problem and falling down is not a problem. That's just human. And honestly, anybody who is risking for healthier relationships or wanting to put their work into the world or um, just wanting to thrive and, you know, whatever it is, there's all, it's vulnerable, it's messy, it's always going to involve some ups and downs. That's to be planned for, to be honest. And um, I guess that's a, question, a conversation for another day. But what I, was, I want to reiterate, falling down isn't a problem. Making mistakes isn't a problem. Staying there in that place or allowing yourself to spiral downward, which can happen when shame and the inner critic are really loud that's the problem. It doesn't mean it's your fault. It doesn't mean that you need to blame yourself for it. It simply means that that is the problem or that is problematic and you can take action to learn new patterns. Last episode, we talked about, or I shared about befriending ourselves um, and the more, and we're going to talk about that throughout this season and throughout my podcast because that's really a core message of all of my work. But the more we can meet and befriend our true selves, and that includes all of our parts, our strength and our struggle, the more that we are open to forming new habits and behaviors, like making self-compassion our new instinct, for instance, the more we're open to growth, healing, joy. So I want to talk about self-compassion and double whammy here today, because we really are just talking about self-compassion, but this is also the self-compassion part of that cycle. What, what I would hope for you and, and something that has radically changed my life. And, and that seems so simple sometimes, but it's not. It's simple in practice, like many powerful life-changing truths are or practices are. But we have to practice. We have to show up consistently. We have to be willing to be messy. 
That's the only way forward. It's the only way to actually create any kind of positive change or momentum in our lives. So what I would hope for you is that you could slow and steady exchange shame for self-compassion. So self-compassion has three components. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. The three components are mindfulness, self-kindness, and common humanity. Mindfulness you're probably relatively familiar with. So when we're talking about self-awareness, we're talking about mindfulness. We are becoming more mindful of our thoughts, our emotions, how our body is feeling, um, more mindful of maybe our sensory experience, noticing, savoring, um, being fully present wherever we are, learning how to pull our mind and heart back from yesterday and tomorrow to live fully here in this moment and in this day. The second component, self-kindness, I think that's self-explanatory. That would be, you know, for instance, like not bullying ourselves anymore, speaking to ourselves more kindly, picking ourselves up when we fall, um, noticing perfectionism and practicing a gentler way. And the third component, common humanity, that is the part that is less familiar to more people. And it really just means that we're all human. We're all in progress. We all have strength and struggle in our lives. We all encounter hard things that we've never met before. And that means it's all new and we don't necessarily know how to move forward. It means that there may be times in our life that feel incredibly dark and challenging and you're allowed to ask for help. Um, that piece, I mean, they're all, all three components are essential, but that piece can feel really challenging and, and like really powerful when we kind of get hold of that and we begin to practice. And I'm going to talk more about that in a later episode when I talk about embracing paradox. Self-compassion can become your new instinct. It may feel impossible right now. I remember when it felt just out to lunch, ludicrous for myself. As I mentioned, my inner critic was so vicious, not mean, vicious, ripped me to shreds constantly. And it took some days when I was learning how to just beginning to practice this, I would have to like stop and name the thoughts that were going through my brain and then choose another possibility like 18 times a day, 35 times a day. We have to build new muscle memory. But with repetition, it can become our new instinct. A little side note, um, Prentice Hempfel, who is an embodiment coach, and um, they have some other roles. And I um, I like to learn from them. And I've taken, I believe, at least one workshop or course with them. And somewhere along the lines, they shared 
I believe it was them, they shared um, a, a stat. And it was something along the lines of, it was pulled from the sporting industry. And the stat goes something like this, that it takes 300 repetitions to, um, I think it was to build new muscle memory. So like throwing a baseball or whatever, but 3000 repetitions to make that new habit or movement, your new instinct. 300 to build new muscle memory, 3000 for that to become your new instinct. I didn't know this way back then when I was practicing and learning self-compassion, but I like to use that as an example, even if it isn't like directly applicable to what we're talking about, because it highlights the idea that we find our way in action, not before. We find our way in action, not before. That requires of you and I to step out before we know what the heck we're doing. The only way to build a new habit, practice, instinct is to step out with the skills that we have in this moment, right? There is no other way but to do it imperfectly. Yet, we expect ourselves to know all the things, to somehow miraculously be expert at all the things before we've practiced, before we've trained, you know? It requires consistent practice to become your new instinct, but self-compassion can become your new instinct no matter where you are right now. It has for me, it took a lot of hard work. There were times in the valley, you know, in the middle, messy middle that I didn't know if it was ever going to change, but it did. So I want to touch on fear and the inner critic. I am running a workshop, I think it's September 4th, this autumn, 2023. And um, I'm going to run another workshop around befriending our inner critic. I've, I've offered one in the past and this one will be, it'll be different, but, um, but just keep that in mind. You can watch for that if this is something that will serve you. So fear and our inner critic can be extremely loud. And, and what I want to say today around this is just that really they're not your enemy. They are just trying to keep you safe. Not necessarily in healthy or helpful ways, but they're, they're just trying to keep you safe with the, I can talk about this more later and in the workshop, but um, I just want to be not spin off too much in each episode. So, if you haven't ever heard of this idea, maybe just let it percolate for a while and come to my website, alifeinprogress.ca and, and search um, inner critic or fear. But it seems like they're out to get you. It seems like they're there to harm you, but they're not. They just want you to be safe. 
So when we shift our relationship to fear and the inner critic, and we begin to build a friendship with them, instead of running, um, what happens is when we're running, we have all these like coping mechanisms and numbing patterns, etc. But when we turn towards them and we start listening and say like, okay, what do you want me to know? What's going on? What do you, what are you afraid of? You know, what do you need to feel safe? We don't need all of those old patterns anymore. And we can start to see, to build this almost inner sense of safety and, and realize that though the patterns we have, they developed at some point in the past. They served us in some way, generally speaking. There may be exceptions in your life. Um, but usually these types of behaviors, it served us sometimes. It doesn't necessarily mean it helped you meet your goals or whatever, but with the capacity, the resourcing, the knowledge, et cetera, that you had at that stage of life, you developed a coping mechanism. And if you're here today, then it worked, right? It kept you safe and alive. You're here, but it doesn't mean it's serving you anymore. And now if you're listening to this, you may be in a place where you're more resourced and you can now learn a new way, you know, of feeling fear and showing up anyway, for example. So what self-compassion is not? I have, you know, because I work online, I get to hear from a lot of different people. And one of the most common objections I hear or concerns around self-compassion is it goes something like, um, well, if, if I'm too self-compassionate, then I'll never change. Or um, won't people just use that as an excuse to say, you know, well, that's just how I am. Suck it up, you know. But when people do that, that isn't about self-compassion. Remember, compassion is bi-directional. That's rooted in something else. True self-compassion will not allow you to just say, oh yeah, like I'm harming myself, I'm harming other people. That's just how I am. That isn't what self-compassion is. When we begin to practice self-compassion, remember there's these components of mindfulness, self-kindness, and common humanity. That common humanity part helps us actually, as we become more um, self-aware and self-kind and, and practicing common humanity, what happens is we begin to see the beauty and gifting in other people also behind their behaviors. We can start to see, for instance, oh, they're hurting just like me. Um, or, you know, not necessarily make up stories, right, about things that we don't know, but to simply see the goodness and the beauty and the gifting and the strength in people, even when sometimes they're behaving with anger or whatever. Same with our kids, same with our partner. So 
self self compassion will not keep you stuck actually it will equip you to do some real truth telling and to to it'll it'll help create that inner sense of safety so that you can begin healing growing becoming and finally I mentioned safety, and I just want to talk about that a little bit more. In my work, in my community, my brave and beautiful community, um, in client work and workshops, I'll mention this, but it's, it's, yeah, I'll just mention it all the time. But um, in my relationships with my inner circles, with myself, like if there's something, a, a place of deep pain, like traumatic grief, nothing, I, no, I'll rephrase that. Safety always has to come first. Safety first, safety first, safety first. If we don't have like literal safety, right? So like, um, I think I mentioned this in episode one, but let's just say like you want to, you know, you're not going to be worried about personal growth or development if you don't have a roof over your head, right? You have to have actual environmental physical safety. You need psychological safety. So if you're in an environment that's abusive or you're constantly being gaslit or you know, it's going to be really hard for you to bring about positive change in your life if that's the environment you are immersed in constantly. Um, it's not impossible, but it'll mean that you're going to need to either figure out how to move people out a little bit away from your inner circles, seek out other forms of support and community, etc. So there's this sense of safety outside of ourselves, but there's also an inner sense of safety. Our nervous system needs to feel safe before it can actually listen to another person and be willing to learn and challenge assumptions or whatever. Um, if we are in, if, if we're in therapy, and the person sitting across the table comes across as arrogant or judgmental or for some other reason, we feel unsafe. We're not going to be able to do the work that we came to do. So we need to think about how can we create safety for each other or for ourselves or both and. and through you know all the different learning I've done around trauma and grief work and resilience, what I have learned is that there are two easily accessible primary ways that we can create that felt sense of safety, again, for others and for ourselves. So if we want to have a brief conversation, say, um, there's conflict in a relationship that we truly care about. We need that brave conversation safety first. Our child is struggling, safety first. We are hurting, safety first. So we do that, we establish that sense of safety through compassion, 
and curiosity. Compassion and curiosity. And that's why I said that the more that we put down these deep roots of self-awareness and self-compassion, we are able to, to have more conscious awareness of our own patterns, our activation, our, you know, the way that maybe another person says something and it like touches on a place of wounding inside of ourselves. And so instead of becoming reactive, we're able to pause and choose our response. The more that we are filled up, we are able to also offer that to others in a, in, a, in a way that it's not just about doing good. It's not just about, you know, doing the right thing. It's more sustainable. It's coming also from this deeply rooted place of integrity. And we're not losing ourselves or our own well-being as we care for others. It doesn't mean we don't sacrifice, right? Like sacrifice isn't wrong or bad. Sacrifice might have its place. But there's a distinction, at least in my mind and body. And I know the difference. I can feel it when I'm giving from a place of fear or shoulds or performing or not wanting somebody to be mad at me versus really feeling that, no, I'm choosing this from a place of integrity. I matter and you matter. It's bi-directional. All right, so let's talk about imperfect action. Um, I'm going to offer you two simple thoughts around ways you can get started practicing or exploring self-compassion. Again, I recognize, you know, some of you may be, you know, experts, experts, I don't really use that term usually, but like you're, you are well-practiced. And some of you may be at a place in life where, you know, you can't even imagine how you're going to learn this or begin to practice. And as I say over and over and over in my work, we just start where we are. There is no perfect starting place except start where you are. Choose one tiny baby step to start with. So when I, like I said, 18 years ago, when my daughter, my third child was born, and I had this moment of like, equal like realization and decision that I would no longer bully myself or berate my body or or myself for her sake and mine. It started with a decision or a commitment. But then I had to practice. And and so what I did back then was institute a no bullying policy for myself. So whenever I caught my internal dialogue and it was shaming me, my body or myself in any way, I didn't worry about stopping the thought preemptively because we can't always control that. But when we notice a thought, a behavior, or an emotion that needs tending to or compassion, we just pause where we are 
where we can. We can kind of like capture that thought in the moment or after, whenever we can. And and, and then choose our response. So for me, as I, I just kept practicing, I wasn't, I just said I was no longer allowed that type of talk. So when I noticed it, as soon as I had the strength to kind of capture it, and I got quicker and quicker and quicker as I practiced, I replaced it with a new thought. That's how I started. Um. So, so I'm just going to leave that there. If you want to talk more about that or you have more questions about that, you can email me at alifeinprogress.outlook.com. A simple practice that I've written about, I've used it for, I'm not really sure, but like 15 years or something like that. Um, and, and I offer it up to many of my clients and community members, and so many of them actually practice and are kind of surprised at the impact. I call it um, the three, two, one exercise. So at the end of the day, I do this in my mind, just as I'm preparing for sleep, I name three things I'm grateful for in the day, two things I did well, and that tends to be the hard part for women at least. And one thing I could do differently next time. And that's where we practice a growth mindset. It is not about shaming or judging. It's about choosing our response. So three things I am grateful for, two things I did well today, one thing I could do differently next time. The two things I'm, I did well today, for some women, and quite a few, to be honest, it can take time. We're so like out of practice we or we've never practiced it's just not um habitual for us we see our flaws we see our failings or at least our perceived failings um but to be proud of ourselves to name what we've done well that actually takes work depending on what's going on in your life it, it honestly it can be anything i had a shower today i drank two liters of water. I um, put down my phone and I cuddled with my child. Um, I went to bed on time. I climbed into bed early when I was grieving. I, whatever it is, name it, be proud of yourself. You know, maybe in another season, it's like you used your voice in a challenging situation. You showed up through fear and you put that blog post, article, proposal into the world, you know, whatever it is, it's it's not about the size or shape of it. It's about the practice. And again, that one thing I could do differently next time, that is the opportunity to think like, let's say you got activated and you yelled at your child. And next time, when you're in a regulated state, and you're thinking about this, you might notice that um, next time when you start to feel a certain way or notice this sensation in your chest and, you know, um, notice anger rising, you could say, I'm, I'm feeling a little anxious right now. Let's take a break and then come back and talk about this later. You know, like, it's just, again, it's that putting ourselves into the seat of agency, reminding ourselves that we have power of choice we have, we get to choose our response. And um, 
And that sense of agency is really important for resilience. Okay, something I'm enjoying. I don't spend a lot of time there these days, but I will often point people over to Kristen Neff's, Dr. Kristen Neff's website and work. She is one of the leading researchers and experts around self-compassion. There's a self-compassion scale widely used in research, and she was the one who developed it. Um, On her website, you will find, I believe, a self-compassion scale. Um, If not there, you can reach out to me, actually, and I can share one with you to rate your current level of self-compassion. But she has other free resources as well to help you get started. She has a couple of great books. Um, And she talks about two kinds of self-compassion. I'm not going to go into that right now, but you can also go to my website. And I have written about two different kinds of self-compassion as well. Okay. Um, If you want to go deeper into the work, number one, I mentioned watch for the September 4th workshop on befriending our inner critic, by next week, the sales page should be up for that. If you want to join live and you'll also, you can always also get the replay. Um, Also, you can um, download the Midlife Crossroad PDF on my website. So go to the begin tab in my menu at lifeinprogress.ca and it'll just get you started with some resources. One of them is the Midlife Crossroad PDF. It gives you some hopefully like encouragement and some truth telling. I say that, you know, it's it's seven truths to help you love and value yourself and reclaim freedom, health and joy. They are things that have made really significant difference in my life and allowed me to show up to my work uh, in a way that I never could have in the past. And um, also it is going to, it's following season one of the podcast. So I'm expanding upon each of those ideas as I walk through each episode. So the Midlife Crossword PDF. All right. Thanks for being here. And until next time, I invite you or encourage you to consider ways that you can make peace with messiness to make space for joy.